Welcome to Le Partie, your weekly destination to hear about what happened in the hospitality industry around the world last week. I'm Miriam, this is Mish. Hello, <laughs> we dig through hundreds of newspapers so you don't have to. We'll keep you updated on global events, what's up in academia and what softwares are currently changing the industry. We try to stick to facts most of the time, but we do add a bit of our own opinion once in a while. All right, let's jump right in. We have a special episode today, Miriam. Yes. We have a guest. His name is uh, Jeremy Galli. Uh, you can... Bonjour. <laughs> um, a fellow colleague of ours. Uh, a quick little introduction for our listeners. This man has... Uh, worked his way through the cruise industry from a, a mere, uh, how would you call it, uh, its international host up to the general manager of an entire cruise. Uh, he's managed Swiss chalets, has uh, been all over the world, and now is actually starting his own consulting business. And he's falling Ooh. into depression. <laughs> I, I mean, this it is keeps <laughs> Yeah, I like to be busy. I'm super glad to be here. Super glad to be part of this. And uh, I'm sure it's going to be very fun. Yeah, I think so too. Uh, all right, Jeremy. All right, Miriam. I think we should uh, just kick it off. Uh, who wants to go first? What news have you guys found today? I think we should definitely start with Jeremy. Are you ready? <laughs> yeah, definitely. I'm, I'm absolutely ready to bring some uh, some seawater into the podcast because uh, obviously most of the news that I'm going to bring are going to be focusing on the cruise industry, uh, which funny enough in the world of hospitality is actually not uh, promoted so much. So, um, I mean, Misha and I, we went to the same school and uh, they never really talked about the cruise industry even though it's the, the growing industry within the hospitality industry so um it's the fastest growth and, and there's new ships every year and and we don't talk about it so i'm very happy to be here to rectify this and bring you some uh seawater into the podcast so um a few news relating to the cruise industry uh that i'd like to talk about the first one is about a company called viking cruises you guys you guys heard of it yeah i think i've seen the logo uh here and there Mm -hmm. It's a drunk swimming runner. around. Yeah, they're swimming it. around. Each other. Hopefully not um, drowning around. I you never heard of it. Uh -huh. I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh no, that's cool. Uh, Viking is a uh, Swiss company, French Swiss company actually, and they've been around for at least 20 years. But they were really focusing on the uh, river cruise business. <clears throat> so they have a lot of uh, river boats uh, that operates all over Europe and. Um, Within the last 10 years, they expanded with uh, one, I think, one vessel, river vessel in uh, China on the Blue River. And there's another one on the Mississippi uh, in the United States. Um, they have about 70 to 80 riverboats. So it's a very big company, right? Um, and 10 years ago, they started to work uh, on ocean, ocean ships. Um, so actual cruise ships. And uh, the company has been growing quite a lot. And uh, for the first time in history of uh, continent travel, uh, they have won three awards for river, ocean, and expedition. And that never happened before. Um, they have definitely won before the river, definitely won the ocean. But for the first time, they also score on the expedition uh, award. And that's a pretty big deal because if you're not familiar with expedition lines, um, what expedition crews do is they say, we're going to take you to very remote areas of the world. Uh, could be uh, the North Pole, could be Antarctica, could be Indonesian islands, the Amazon, uh, the Chilean fjords. And we're going to take you there. We're going to have some 
naturalist guides that will be there, the experts on fauna, flora, culture of the country that we're visiting. And they will take you on small speedboats, zodiac speedboats. I'm going to just roam around icebergs, go to see penguins, polar bear, this type of things. And uh, these cruise lines are usually, you know, in terms of price, they're rather expensive. And Viking has just started that. They just entered the market two years ago. And for some reason, whatever type of recipe they have to be a great cruise line also work there. I mean, I just, when you, when you talk about it, I was just wondering what, what's the range? What would that cost to have an expedition like that? It sounds really mm. nice. <laughs> it's, it's, um, I think the lowest you can do would be on small American cruise line that it would start at around five to $6,000 for a small cabin per person for a seven day cruise. Um, mm. And if you hop on the Commandant Charcot, the latest uh, uh, icebreaker from Ponant, it's a five-star cruise line. We're looking at half a million for 20 days. Phew. So, yeah, but uh, it is it is really interesting that we go to very remote areas where the elements are against you, but you're still going to be able to do wine and champagne test tasting in your suite, on your balcony, in your sauna. So it really is the mix of the two worlds, how rough nature can be and how luxury your hospitality experience can be. <laughs> so you said in, in your suite, in your balcony, in your sauna, that means you have a sauna on your balcony, in your suite, where you have the champagne bottles that you can drink? or You can. It, uh, that some, is, some um, definitely can, yeah. Some suites have, have sauna, like little balconies. Um, some of them are like up to 100 square meters. So it's pretty cool, yeah. Well, congratulations to Viking, I suppose. Well, have, it is impressive have... because they just joined. And there have been companies that are focused on these markets, on the expedition market for a long time. And Viking is a very solid, let's say, four-star hospitality experience. Well, on an expedition ship, Usually you are on a five-star expedition, uh, five-star hospitality level. So it's interesting that they brought all that they can do, all their savoir-faire, their knowledge, their experience, and they just tweaked it to be on an expedition vessel and the guests love it. And they love it more than people that have been doing this for 20 years. So it is quite of a you know, kick in the butt for all those companies that are promoting a top luxury service. And they're just being passed by by a bigger ship and that never did expedition before, and it's technically four stars. So it is quite of an earthquake, or should I say tsunami, in in the expedition market. It's quite of a big deal. Would you be able to isolate a few reasons for us as to how they managed to achieve this? Or <clears throat> Well, Viking has a very strong um, reputation, I would say, on the American market. And 50% um, of the cruise passengers in the world are from the U.S. Um, and additionally, they're a very strong four-star hotel which means that they, I think for a while, their um, slogan was um, for the price of a, for the price of a three-star line, you get a four-star service or something. So they do have a rather good uh, value for the buck. And that is very popular in the US. Um, plus, they really made their reputation on the riverside, on the river business. And they, they have this strong connection between the guides that tour the people, tour the guests, and the guests themselves, and they really like that. And I think they kind of copy-paste the type of cabins they have with a signature heating floor. And I tried this. It's pretty cool, especially if you've been running around the ice cap for the entire day. Um, and the guides are very excellent. And I think this is what makes Viking very successful. If you have never seen a Viking ship, I definitely encourage you to Google uh, Viking Ocean Ship, and you will see it's a very Nordic simplistic, minimalistic style. And that's just very popular with the customers. I worked for them for a year 
as a freelance program director and to talk about it a little bit, uh, it's also probably the most popular cruise line for crew members. Uh, they do respect and treat their crew very well, which is not the case of every single line out there. And that could be another piece of news for another podcast later. But um, it is it is a very, very successful company for guests in Korea. So congrats to them. Sounds pretty good. I mean, uh, I guess Miriam and I, uh, probably the next podcast we'll record on the Viking ship. I think that's... <laughs> I mean, a Viking ship from Switzerland just sounds awesome to me, I have to say. <laughs> Globalization. <laughs> when I heard, oh, it's from Switzerland, I was even more embarrassed that I didn't know it. <laughs> They're based on right. Basel. Oh, yeah, definitely. Uh, oh, yeah, there is a river there, so it makes sense, I suppose. Yeah. <laughs> um, all right, let's move on, I guess, to the next piece of news. Um, from my end, uh, I found a very interesting uh, small article about how United Uh, nation's world travel organization actually announces uh, the best tourism villages of the year i didn't know that such a thing exists <laughs> it's pretty pretty interesting uh unfortunately it's not a ranked list there isn't like the best village in the world that you're supposed to oh. go to right now um but uh it is 190 villages and this year 75 additional villages have joined the list uh the funny thing is that the way they rate this isn't by ratings of guests or maybe experiences or anything related to pricing and value it's rated by sustainability <laughs> so um if you're a tourist uh, tourism uh tourism fanatic who really cares about sustainability i guess this is definitely a list for you um i looked at the list there basically is a bit of everything so it's kind of worldwide i even have been to a few of those villages uh one is in austria Sant anton I don't remember it as a very special. It was very nice, but it wasn't particularly, I wouldn't call it the best village in the world. Um, but yeah, it's a, it's a pretty interesting thing. Have you, maybe you guys might want to look at the list and see if you have been to any of the best villages. I want to know what's top one. So they don't have any top. Uh, it's basically just a list, right? So you can join the list, but um. there is no ranking. So uh, I guess they don't want to be, you know, They don't want to probably destroy a small little village with a thousand people traveling in on a Viking ship, <laughs> most, most likely. So, um, yeah, no, it's basically right now it's 190 villages that um, basically get an award as being part of the best villages, according to UNWTO. I have doubts. <laughs> You're currently in the like Philippines, right, Jeremy? Yes, I'm currently in the Philippines, yes. I And there's think... no there's no most beautiful or sustainable village uh, in the Philippines, apparently. No. Funny um, enough, there's nothing you... in Thailand either, which because Thailand is extremely touristic. There's four in Indonesia that There I've never heard of. And most of the rest is South America, uh, Greater Europe... It's a few in Japan as well. So when they talk about village, it's like one of those like large resort that go from small hotel room to bungalows that like club med type no, no, of things. No. no, no, real village, like a, a, pr a proper village. So oh, like an actual live. place where people live. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> real, real people. Who Why live would it go there? They live there. <laughs> Where's yeah, the right? Where's the bar? And there's no. There's probably no heated floors because then they don't get the sustainability price. How boring! Yeah, exactly. <laughs> But I mean, if you if you want to orient yourself to that towards that, I suppose that's a pretty good way to do it. No, I mean, 
it maybe it's um, apparently also you. It's not how so basically W uh, World Travel Organization doesn't actually uh, look out villages. You actually have to kind of send your uh, candidate can, as yourself as a candidate, and then they will nominate you to you know to win or not. So maybe it's a good way for villages to also to promote themselves. I mean, I would like to appeal. <laughs> Please go ahead. There's no village in France. And France is definitely, I mean, I'm not going to say we have all the answers or the beauty in the world, but it's, it's, it's strange that the, I think the French probably are too, uh, put it politely, they're not going to send their village because they're too good to, to, to send it themselves. <laughs> I knew it. And it might be true. <laughs> and it might be, might be a very, very good accurate analysis of what we do and don't so yeah but it's interesting that there's a lot of places in uh, south america a lot of chile peru that are they probably saw a way to be known internationally and that's a great way probably to attract attention on a very sustainable way so um yeah it's definitely a good idea so do you you think that's a marketing scheme because Mish always points out all the marketing schemes, so I just want to make. Oh I just, goodness. I kind of want to point out that Mishi found a great marketing. Scheme. I just, I'm always <laughs> a bit amused every time that we talk about sustainability in the hospitality industry, uh, because so what is they they how many is it, Misha? One ninety. Yeah, one hundred ninety. So they audited how many? Two fifty. Yeah. So so. So we're looking at 250 villages around the world that need to be visited and audited by what 10 people from the UN who flew yeah. obviously charter planes. I mean, it's like, uh, I mean, it's great. And on the other it hand, it's money. like the, the taxpayer money spent towards good causes. That's what it is. But that's also a lot of sure CO2, have... you know, that, that was, sure was just locals. Ah, maybe it's <laughs> true. Sure I mean, they, they do have local... locals. I do think they have locals that would edit the, I think they would just give out the, you know, the criterion and then the local will go and check it out. I don't think. It's a, I'm it's sure it's pretty good. Well, it. then we can I'm question sure. the, the, uh, <laughs> like, of course. Somebody has flown a charter plane at some point to some village to test it, 100%. And they probably have stayed at a five-star hotel and they have probably had heated floors. I mean, I, I hope they have. These are... Yeah. <laughs> I definitely think these are all assumptions now, and I definitely think we should move on to the next uh, one. There's a disclaimer in the beginning of this podcast. This is our opinions, right? This is not fact. <laughs> I was just kidding. So, I was like, okay. It's like you're lucky because you got yourself a second Misha in the house. So <laughs> <laughs> I'm enjoying it. I love having Misha in the house. So. <laughs> all right. Second piece, of, third piece of news. Miriam, would you like to, to introduce us to something? Yes. I think the fact that you guys spoke about, um, you know, beautiful charter flights and sustainable villages, um, I would really like to speak about the hostile takeover um, from Choice Hotels and, and Wyndham. I mean, that didn't, that didn't go through, right? I think it was in the news last week, pretty big, that um, Choice Hotels was making an offer to purchase the outstanding shares of, of Wyndham. For $7.8 billion, was it? Um, kind of, yeah, the outstanding shares, 90 per shares, 90 euros per shares, um, where the value was lower. Let me see how much it was. Um, 49.50. So actually, it's a very high offer to purchase um, all the shares. And I kind of, 
we were, were having little discussions and I think if, I mean, there are, you can read the article in detail on, on why that didn't go through, but just, I think Wynham and Choice are two of the biggest franchise givers in the hospitality industry. And having combined the two of those would really mean there would be a huge consolidation on, on how the market would be and how hospitality would be changed. Um, so I don't know what you guys think of, of, did you, did you read about it? And yes, Mish. <laughs> no, I mean, it is, I think I'm, I'm looking up right now. It is top three hotel chains in the world, right? So, um, with almost 500,000 plus rooms. So, um, if they do anything like that, um, I mean, it's a very reasonable thing to stop that kind of acquisition. Marriott wasn't stopped when they bought Starwood, which made them the biggest hotel chain in the world. But I'm sure Marriott might have been better connected. Um, <laughs> we never know, right? Uh, speculation, once again. <laughs> uh, but um, you, you have bad connections, uh, Choice Hotels. <laughs> but I have to say, right, I think a lot of people, while Choice Hotels is one of the biggest um it's, it's. I don't think it's as well known, or it doesn't have such a, a such a good brand, or such, not a, not a good necessarily such a famous brand name amongst the the regular public, especially in Europe. Mm-hmm. They <clears> kind throat> of fall in the category of uh, sort of budget, simple hotels. So, in that category, isn't. Uh, I mean, there is. There's a lot of hotels there, so it's not like they they, they they're gonna take over the the market and control the <laughs> the pricing of <laughs> hotel rooms either. So. <clears throat> probably not yeah i mean i just always find it right like these things of how yeah how the market changes and who would buy which company i think it just shows how how big of an industry hospitality is and how how we're changing especially now during the market i think i spoke about last week that um and i had a fun meeting this week where i said you know the sentiment in the hospitality industry is people operators are changing but properties are not re- being sold or yeah, sold or bought, of course. Um, but the people who are happy are the sharks. Um, so to 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 read about because they still have cash and they wait until people go bust that they can buy their companies. Um, it just kind of I was thinking about it. Is is that you know? I don't know exactly how well Winham is doing, but I was kind of that was my my thought is like Winham doing really bad. That choice sees the opportunity to take him over now. Um, I don't know if you guys have more insights about that. Um, but yeah, it kind of shows that, you know, the sharks are coming out. <laughs> yeah, Jeremy. <laughs> I find it funny because now people, at least in the hotel industry, we don't want to make war. We want to be all friends and buy our friends so we can more easily control the market. <laughs> but We buy our friends. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, we just... We just... But I mean, Misha said it. it it's really like when when Marriott and Starwood got married. It's it's like obviously it gives them a huge power over the market on yeah. on how to define even the product, the most the most standard product of a hotel room. And uh, even though I'm checking choice hotels and I literally don't know any brands that are in this portfolio, um, I can definitely understand they have a lot of a, a lot of rooms and and it, it makes sense that Wyndham was like, hey, we could. We could buy them, and it's a great thing that it will stop because it's more competition means lower price, new, more innovation, more investment. So obviously, it benefits the customers, the guests at the end of the line. So that's great. It was stopped, and it would have been great that Marriott doesn't buy Starwood, but I guess it's what it is. So, uh, also, if you if you put together 
right? I mean, any given city, any given destination. I don't think there is even a single city in the world that is cornered by a hotel chain somewhere. And it is somehow controlling the prices. I mean, they say that Accor, for example, has a certain hold on France. But even then, any you take any city and there is 30 other chains, 20 other independent hotels there. And uh, so it's not like, let's say, Standard Oil who can just come in and start controlling oil prices worldwide and then cause the, the first creation of anti-monopoly laws, right? But uh, so, um, well, good luck. Well, choice, I guess not good luck, but, uh, you know, <laughs> Let's see how it goes. Uh, they will be fine. Huh? Both uh, Windham and Choice will be fine for sure. But uh, it's um, I, I find it's quite a my regret that those brands instead of investing on 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 innovation, on guest experience, on new type of rooms, new type of products and services, they prefer just to say like, oh, we could actually just work together and that's it. And after that, we control everything. So why would we fight instead of just be friends? But down the line, it's it's worse for the guests and the customers. And when you look at how expensive hotel rooms are these days, it's like, uh, it's crazy. I think I, I like the, I like the approach what you said where we started as well, right? Like the innovation, I think if, if we have more consolidation, I think innovation will definitely decrease. Um, but there's also a potential that if they become bigger and bigger, they become slower and slower and it gives room for like newcomers, startups who have new ideas to revolutionize the hospitality industry. Um, I think, yeah, big, big monsters become also quite slow. Yeah. And I, I, I mean, yes, franchise giving is a, is a, is a very lucrative business, but um, I also think it's a limited amount of, of value in a sense if you have people Definitely. that are in the hospitality industry that are very professional know what they're doing and are interested in innovation so definitely yeah well the only issue is that i mean even if it slows down it gives space for newcomers but the the, the how's it called the the barriers at the entrance of the market is gigantic you know you can't yes. it's it's that's what's very difficult but yeah innovation is going down and it's it's sad because hotel room is a very simple product and there's probably yeah. many things to do to make it cooler, it's more sustainable, more interactive, more fun, more easy and all this. But if you possess 75% of all the hotel rooms in Manila, there's no need to do it. So, yep, I agree sure. with you. All right, all right. Let's go to the next piece of news then. Jeremy, what have you brought us? Do you want to go back at sea? I know let's you go. do. Let's, yes. go for, let's go for a swim. Yay. No, we don't. We don't. That's a terrible thing to say. <laughs> No, we never say that. Um, so sustainability at sea is a massive question. And we can develop this. Uh, we can dedicate a whole podcast about it because it's a bit the same with the UN assessing, you know, hundreds of villages around the world. Is it really sustainable? Are cruise ships really sustainable? Um, and I will not answer this question by yes or no. But um, cruise ships are and cruise lines are very aware that people who purchase cruise tickets are fundamentally um they, they fundamentally care about sustainability and they are they have these little guilt feelings you know that love there's some gas that come out of the chimney of the ship right while you're in your pool and drinking your cocktail um so cruise ships are doing a lot to um limit the footprint on the environment and one of the new solution uh, which is quite of an innovation is um when you are in port you will connect to um, the power supply from the port. So it's basically a gigantic plug that is at birth, that is on the pier, 
on the dock. And when you dock, you just you plug yourself in, which allow you to uh, switch from several diesel generators working on the ship to only one at very low regime. So you're burning less fuel, you're saving money, and um, you also pollute less in port. And you might have heard people complaining about pollution near ports because the ship, when they're docked, is still burning fuel. So uh, this, this idea has been around for about five years. Uh, it has quite of a lot of costs associated to it. And obviously not everyone can do it. And only the most recent vessels can do it. Um, they, they did not, all, all ships don't have this technology. So uh, this has been implemented in Iceland. Uh, which is known to be a very sustainable, friendly uh, country. And uh, mid-sized vessels like Otigruten uh, uh, vessels do have this technology because they're rather new. And now when they're at birth in Iceland, they just connect to uh, local supply, local power supply. Um, so this is a great idea, but it has a few limits. Uh, and as I said, it costs a lot of money, so not every single port can do it. And uh, not every single ship is equipped with that. So I think we're going to see this technology more often in 10 years, maybe 15 years, uh, probably in the largest sports, uh, largest cruise port for Lauderdale and in, in in, um, Florida, Barcelona, Marseille, Civitavecchia, all these things. Um, and I think it's a great idea. I really think it's a great idea. And just for the anecdote, there is the same thing that is being developed for the internet. So ships don't have to rely on their satellite internet when they're in port and they just connect, can connect to fiber optics, which lower the cost for the cruise line and make it incredibly faster for the guest and for the crew members. So um, connecting to port is definitely coming to cruise line and cruise ships industry, let's say in about 10 years. I mean, like, it would be pretty, pretty, pretty interesting to see uh, how a giant 5,000 hotel room building basically just comes up to a little 50,000 yeah. <laughs> inhabitants village connects and just sucks out the energy <laughs> entirely. Yeah, <laughs> I see the, I see the limitations there, perhaps uh, to some extent. Well, on major ports, like if you look at the the port of Barcelona, um, there's always like five or six massive cruise ships that are docked every single day. Um, and Barcelona is a gigantic city, is the kingdom of Spain. They can definitely allocate power supply for that. And it's great because the port also makes extra revenue. Uh, it's a win-win situation pretty much. And um, it is definitely sustainable friendly. So I am sure that it's going to be around, at least in the biggest port, more and more and more every day. Every year, sorry. Yes? Yeah, yeah I'm definitely, definitely looking forward. I just kind of like, in my limited imagination of like technology i just see like this huge plug and now it like <laughs> funny enough it's literally a big plug I kind of, like now i want to see like i want to see a picture of that because i'm like how would funny that enough it is a big plug <laughs> like, like, and I, there's actually I several oh. it's like they connect like several like this it's it's actually oh, a really big plug yeah but if you think of it it, it can also be applied to cargo ships uh which yeah. are also very polluting and they spend quite a lot of time in port so this is definitely a future-proof technology, and I'm I'm very mm. excited to see this more and more. Big plugs. Yeah, because we know we just did like a we went from Germany from Travemünde to uh, Helsinki with Finlines just mm. a few weeks ago, and it was so interesting to see how they would like maneuver the big, the huge ship into the port, right in a small port. And I'm thinking, okay, you need to park really well in order to like find the plug. So it's just kind of like going into all the, the, they're good enough at maneuvering for sure. And the cables (laughs) are also long enough. Uh, But uh, when a ship is in port, he still needs to be at least on one diesel generator, because if a line breaks, 
for for yeah. instance, you need to be able to emergency maneuver to make sure that there's no um, accident that results from that. So uh, mm. that's why the ships are still burning power. And a fun oh. anecdote of it is um, from zero to 100%, um, how much do you think air conditioning takes in terms of power on a ship? A lot. It's a good half. Half. It's a good half, yeah. 50% is... 50% of fuel burned on a cruise ship is only burned to power air conditioning. Damn. So we need Sweet. air conditioning. It's at, even at, in, in dock, we need light. We need satellite services. Uh, we need so many equipments. Um, and we can talk about waste management, all these things, because that's very interesting. But we need to have this power. So or we burn it, or we just big plug it. So you can blame the uh, the guests. I mean, it's obviously their fault. They're the ones turning on the AC, right? So just offsource to them. Make well, a usually uh, no guest, uh, no cruise line. Huh? So it's all their fault, pretty much. Let's let's blame the guests. That usually works. It's a very I used to do this on a daily basis. So, yeah. yeah. Yes. I, I, I support it 100%. <laughs> oh, my God. Fair no. Enough. <laughs> no, that's okay, Miriam. You're on record now. Thank it you very much. It was a joke. Okay. <laughs> I'm never getting a job again at sea. Uh, I'll, I'll, I'll cut out the last part where you guys are regretting what you said. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. You'll receive a PayPal from me very soon. <laughs> <laughs> All right. So I think we can go on to the next piece of news. Uh, I found this quite funny. Um, as well, I suppose this was just a week of funny news, at least for me. Um, basically, Japan is now apparently tired of its tourists, specifically in foreigner, international tourists, right? So not the the Japanese tourists, but international tourists, which, you know, the article starts friendly enough. It basically makes sense, right? They're stating that there is uh, you know, too many tourists. Uh, the solution for them is, first of all, they want to increase the infrastructure so it's not too overloaded. And then second of all, they... They're planning to fight over tourism by increasing tickets, for example, to bus for bus tickets, because that's going to stop the tourists, the pesky tourists going to your little village and uh, spending money there. And finally, the the, the the innovative solution that they also are bringing in is uh, taxation, so tourist taxation. I don't think anybody has done that before. So uh, this would be pre- pretty. Uh, it's a pretty simple model. Uh, now you know the news is. At its core, you know, simple, right? Uh, we have we've talked about quite a lot of destinations that are experiencing this, but <laughs> the actual numbers that the article mentions are quite funny. Uh, the total amount of international tourists to Japan in <laughs> in last year was two million. <laughs> for relative comparison, France gets ninety million. <laughs> Lithuania got one point nine million. <laughs> And then they are fine. So uh, I think it's all about perception of the locals as to how many foreigner tourists is too much. And I think we've reached that limit here. Wow. That is interesting. I mean, I think it also is something we have talked about before, right? Um, that tourists, that locals are getting tired of tourism. And it kind of goes about what we said before. Let's just blame the guests, which Jeremy and I don't mean meant to say. Um, but you said that that hasn't happened before. I think Bhutan has a very high tourism tax, right? That you pay 200 euros a day to just get into the... No, no, get no, into... That was a joke. Yeah, yeah oh, of course. It, yeah, that was just... a joke? You didn't do the face. Okay, sorry. <laughs> 
right. <laughs> Sorry. For those who are listening, because we don't have a video of this, uh, it's hard to get this joke, Miriam. But yes, thank you for that comment. Sorry. Yeah, now I lost my chain of thought. But yeah, I think also Japanese is a very particular culture of respect. And, you know, there's certain rules that are unspoken. And if you come from maybe different cultures and you don't respect, I think for them it's very quickly very offensive. And so... I kind of also understand that they want to kind of protect maybe what they are taking care of very well. Yeah. Jeremy, thoughts? I object uh, to most of most of this. Um, according to the Japan National Tourism Organization, the estimated number of international travelers to Japan in July 2023 was about 2,320,000. So interesting numbers that you got there. Um, and also mass tourism, okay, it's a problem. And um, But I, it's, I used to come to Venice every Sunday and you hear the people saying, oh, it's terrible, you go to, the, to Venice, uh, too many tourists, uh, but it will be 65 euro for your pasta, thank you. So it brings a lot of money. It brings incredible wealth to the city. It's it's massive amount of currency, foreign currency that comes in the country. Okay, maybe there are too many people, but I think there's other ways to control this than taxing or even just saying like, oh no, we're tired. This is too much. Please stop coming. Like, no, come on. This this you don't tell your customers stop spending money on us. It doesn't. It's it's. Just, I find it very hypocritical, personally. There's also one thing they mentioned that uh, they want to promote destinations that are <clears throat> less known. So, you know, that's another strategy. Actually, Venice did that. They're trying to promote similar towns close to them um, where people can go to instead of Venice so that, you know, it's not too overcrowded. Well, okay, but to give you a fun fact about this, uh, what they did is the cruise ships don't go to the port of Venice now. They go to the port of Marghera, which is... 10 kilometer north and now we have thousands of buses that just go from Margaret port to the actual port of venice so it's like i mean no but the journey makes you don't no get sense. it right but at least they Political. made an article and a piece of news that that said and nobody sees the the, the ship now and the buses you know yeah. they're kind of undercover right they come in at night right nobody sees it everybody's supposed to be really quiet just crawling through the city so that nobody knows at night it's when the ship <laughs> one just went over the bridge recently one one of those those bus crashed into the, the bridge yeah, yeah. or something yeah. he did the face it was right. a joke he did the face oh he oh, did yeah, that was the face <laughs> <laughs> no, right. I mean, of course, this is all political, right? And um, but promoting uh, more remote destination, I think, is a great idea. That's a great way mm. to manage the flow of tourists instead of saying, "Oh no, that's too much." It's better to like, okay, we're going to take you to other places where we have previously developed hotels and restaurants and all this to welcome you properly. So, I think that yeah, but that's Jeremy, a really that good. Already, that already is difficult, right? It's very. Hotels are usually not is are rarely developed in places where there is no tourism traffic. So usually, it, it comes a little bit the other way around that investors go where tourists First go. The people. Yeah, so yeah. again, makes sense. Yeah. In, in the end, this is just a traditional stack of 
things, different destinations to to prevent or you know redirect tourism. I think we've we've looked at this many times in different destinations, and there hasn't been any innovative way to do this in, in differently, right? So. <clears throat> I think we can move on to the next piece of news. Yeah, and I think it would be me, but I'd rather hear Jeremy because you still have one, right? I, I one do have one more, yeah. Exactly. I definitely want to hear more about the sea. <laughs> and and how you're not allowed to swim in it. Yeah. We don't we don't we don't do that, sorry. Sorry. Yeah, well apparently we'll, we will we'll we now do podcasts on bi weekly basis to make sure the content is uh, high quality. So um Otherwise, we have a regular newsletter coming up every week without the podcast element of it. Um, and then for the dear listeners as well, if you want to check out Jeremy's uh, consulting business and maybe you want to maybe send him a request and find out what he can offer you, we will provide the link at the, in the description above. No problem. We have we have three listeners in total. That's me, Jeremy, uh, well, you, Jeremy, uh, and you, Miriam, and a few other people maybe as well. So you'll you probably get a lot of clientele coming your way. <laughs> Um, but yeah, I guess thank you guys very much for listening. <laughs> Which is five percent, the, the French way, <laughs> or maybe two percent. <laughs> All right, uh, I guess on that note, we see you in uh, in two weeks. Thank you. Bye bye.